Is depression funny? Depression is funny once you're out of it or if you're observing someone in a particularly open moment where they're just saying these fucked up specifics that you wouldn't otherwise get. But when you're in it, it's not funny. You, you, you need to have some sort of perspective, I think. Doc says there's something wrong with me. I got the sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take now? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. We talk to people on this program who are creative and funny and have dealt with depression. And on this episode, someone who is creative and funny and depressed and who sings. Hi, this is Rachel Bloom, and I'm in Los Angeles, California. Rachel Bloom is the co-creator and star of the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on The CW. She won a Golden Globe for Best Actress, playing Rebecca Bunch, a character inspired in part by Rachel's own life and experiences. Rebecca is a successful but unhappy Manhattan lawyer who chucks it all to move to West Covina, California, where Josh Chan, the boy she dated at a long-ago summer camp, now lives. Is he here? He's not here. To be clear, I didn't move here for Josh. I just needed a change, because to move here for Josh, now that'd be strange. But don't get me wrong, if he asked for a date, I would totally be like, that sounds great. Did it sound cool when I said, that sounds great? Okay, how about now? That sounds great. Yes, I heard of West Covina from Josh, but I didn't move here because of Josh. Do you get those things are different? Look, everyone, stop giving me the shakedown. I am not having a nervous... Rebecca has mental health issues, but she's really just trying to be happy and to figure out how that works. You know, like everyone. The term crazy in the title refers to how others might see a person whose mind just has a few kinks and hiccups in it. Even though most people with depression don't regularly burst into song, Rebecca Bunch on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is one of the most truthful portrayals of mental illness that I've seen. Both the devastating effects and the just getting through the day parts. Thank you so much for seeing me on such short notice, Dr. Acopian. What can I help you with? Yeah. I'm not myself right now. We're always ourselves, Rebecca. Right. Yeah. No, so I don't feel like myself. This isn't usually how I am. Like, I'm normally very organized and focused. Sounds like you're feeling out of control. Let's delve into your childhood. Oh, I was afraid you'd say that. Okay, so I've been through the therapy ringer. I've rehashed my childhood a ton. And I don't really want to do it again. Like, for me and for you, frankly. I don't want to put that on you. So here's what I need. I need these. Those are the meds I was on in New York. Oh, my God. How did your body react to all this medication? You must not have been able to feel a thing. Exactly. Numb as they come. So scribble, scribble on your pizzle pad. Rebecca, your doctor in New York is a quack. He gave you a Band-Aid, not a cure. My method would be to do some digging and figure out what's really going on inside your mind. And then we can discuss the appropriate medications. So that's great, but I need to be better by Monday. It's a work thing, so... But while Rebecca Bunch is from Manhattan, Rachel Bloom is not. She's from Manhattan Beach, California, where she did not really fit in. It's a well-to-do coastal town a bit south of L.A. full of rich people who are also super laid back, who like walk around barefoot outside but drive BMWs. It's that weird, doesn't quite go together thing. And um, my parents were not that. Um, my father's from Boston. Um both my parents are Jewish. Uh, my mother is from areas of Southern California, but acts like a New Yorker. I mean, both my parents are very East Coast, and neither of my parents is particularly athletically gifted. So I was kind of raised a little bit to believe that if you were outdoorsy or good at sports, then you were a moron, <laughs> which 
goes a little against the whole Manhattan Beach thing of surfing, going to Mammoth and skiing. And so it gave me a very unique perspective. Making Rachel yet more different? A deep love and interest in musical theater from a very early age, as well as, hey, you know what podcast you're listening to? Mental illness. Then around age nine, I started to develop really, really intense, intrusive, looping thoughts. And so for me, depression has always been wrapped up in the in intrusive, looping, negative thoughts. And as my psychiatrist says, it's a pendulum. So you swing to one side and there's anxiety and you swing to the other side and there's depression. So for me, depression has always manifested itself for me as this spiral into dark thoughts. Uh-huh. Yeah, I always think about anxiety is when you care about way too many things and depression is when you care about not nearly enough things. Yes. Like there's some there's some path down the middle that's that the normies are able to find. Yeah, and for me, I are much more towards anxiety. I are much more toward, towards worrying and the depression part feels more to me like I'm so in my own head, like I go somewhere else. These terms, depression, anxiety, when you start to get into specific things like personality disorders, when you're in them, it feels so weird to label them because they're so visceral. I mean, to me, whatever it is, the bad, right? The bad feeling, the thing that doesn't feel like myself. It feels like it's this dark thing that wants to attack everything that's important to me. Those intrusive thoughts starting around age nine were often about things Rachel had done that she felt were wrong or deviant, shameful. And then it, for the next three years became this cycle of guilty looping thoughts confessing them, my parents not knowing what to do, and then feeling relief for five minutes, and then my mind or the dark thing immediately latching onto something else. And it defined me, and I didn't tell anyone. My parents knew something was wrong. I remember one, I asked to go to a therapist, but I was so ashamed. All I could say to the therapist was, do you ever feel worried about things? And he goes, yeah, that's normal. Oh, and then that was it. And it it was it basically caused me these guilty looping thoughts. Um I started doing things like cutting my own hair. I started only wanting to wear sweatpants to school. I um I just was I mean acting very erratically, which only made me more of a target for bullying. Um I just was in a wave of my own misery. I mean, I remember being in Alaska with my parents and I had just, the anxiety had given me such stomach problems. They did an x-ray and they found like all this stuff in my stomach and they were like, oh, you have a virus, we guess? But like, no, it was nervous. It was nervous stomach cramps and diarrhea. And now when my, when dark compulsive thoughts happen, it's different. But it takes that same feeling of there's a lion in the bushes and I need to deal with the lion by indulging in the thought. And the hardest thing for me that I'm still working on is, no, it's, a, it's false. Don't engage in the thought. Um, I had a voice teacher who talked about anxiety who, he's from North Carolina, and he was like, you know, like, if a bird flies into your barn, it's okay just notice the bird, but you don't have to make a nest for it. Just the bird flies in, the bird will eventually fly out, don't worry about it. And that's such a good way to think about looping or anxious thoughts. And part of me, and I, I go back to like real or not real, part of my experience has been learning to isolate what are the thoughts actually worth indulging in and what are the thoughts that aren't real, that are counter to me being happy and counter to me being my best self. And it's something I still deal with every day. Another thing Rachel had to deal with and figure out, and it would take a while, was her relationship with guys and how not to get consumed by them and lose herself in the process. 
there were bumps along the way to figuring that out. A period of depression. Depression was when I was 16 and I had just finished this fall play that I was in. And I had a massive crush on my co-lead who, surprise, surprise, turned out later to be gay, um, which is definitely a running theme for me. And I remember when that show ended, being depressed about the show ending, but also like, I don't know, depressed about this like onstage romance that I had ending. So that was definitely like a prelude to to something because that led me into this very, very bad period of depression when I was around 16. When I was 17, I fell desperately in love with the music director of my high school musicals. He was only a year older, and he was actually from Glendora, which is the, a town next to West Covina, which is a part of the reason the show takes my show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, takes place in West Covina. It's part of the reason. Ah. So I fell desperately in love with this guy. We had kind of a a secret fling, even though you know I was 17 and he was 18. You know, it, it's it was, and then he went away for the summer, and he came back and was like, "I'm not into you anymore." It was like, "I'm still into you physically, but I don't want a relationship," and it just messed with me it messed with me for a long time partially because he came back to musically direct my senior year spring musical and when I watched that tape I'm so 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 skinny because I just it was tearing me up to be around this person and I wasn't eating he's all I could think about and it carried into college being thinking about him and being obsessed with him. Rachel got obsessed with this guy, way more into him than he was to her. And this has come up a few times on our show before, this idea of obsessive love where something goes bad and then you just can't get over it. You can't move on. Listen back to the Gary Gullman episode a while back this season or the Paul F. Tompkins one from last season. For Rachel, the obsession continued when she went to NYU for college and that guy was coming to town and they planned to have sex. Rachel was a virgin. Stakes were high. She prepared a lot, even bought a special outfit. So I was prepping myself, and then the night before, he's like, I'm really sick. (laughs) I've been coughing up blood, which is crazy. So I found out later he was a... a, Like, not only smoking a ton of cigarettes, but, like, a real stoner and was um, also kind of... Um, into drugs. Oh. And so the coughing up blood thing, I'm like, I, anyway, so he was like, I don't think we should hook up tomorrow. And I think it was also his morality coming in being like, what am I doing? I know this girl's desperately in love with me and I'm taking advantage of her. And I was like, nope, nah, you don't get out of this. We're going to do it tomorrow. And so I like pick him up in Times Square. By pick him up, I meet him and we go to my dorm room and he, we like start, we, but we can't kiss because he's like, I don't want to get you sick. And he stops and he's like, I can't do this. I, I can't. You're a good kid. I go into the bathroom. I cry. We come out. I'm like, do you want to go get a coffee? And he's like, Ugh, Starbucks is so corporate. Let's go to McDonald's instead. <laughs> So I just remember being at this McDonald's with him. Are you having ironic coffee at that point? I don't know. And I just, and then I I was, I had already bought tickets to see him perform at, I want to say, the Knitting Factory that night. So I go to see his band and I barely see him afterwards. And I just remember like feeling dead inside. Like I, I that was the night I smoked my first cigarette because I was like, screw it. I don't care. I'll kill my body. I just, I felt numb and dead and hopeless. College didn't get much better. Rachel was in a sketch comedy group, which was great, but also in unhealthy relationships. One guy insisted on a secret relationship. She got removed from her directing post within the sketch group because her presence made two of the guys she had dated in the group uncomfortable. Now, all this love life stuff matters in Rachel Bloom's story because how she deals with men matters a lot to her later success and to her better health. And it's worth pointing out, Rachel's married now to a very nice guy who she's been together with for many years. 
We pick up again during her time in college. She's not feeling well. At this point, did you know that what you had was depression or an anxiety disorder, that it was mental illness? No. No? Well, I went to a therapist because I didn't know what was happening. Because the way that I was reacting to this whole thing was so... A couple of months earlier, right before I'd been removed as director, I went to Europe with my friend backpacking. And I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. And it was the thing where I was waking up at 5 a.m. with my heart racing. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was happening. And so it wasn't until years later that I look at that experience and think, okay, I was actually screwed over, but also it hit on something that was always within me, which, I mean, so many things that were always within me, which is, I mean, seeking validation in men, especially, um, letting the kind of dopamine of a relationship kind of carry me on this, on this river and ignoring everything else kind of underneath that river. It, it brought up so many things, but it, it really, that whole situation defined in many ways who I am, because when I came out of it, I became very like, oh, men, men, men can go fuck themselves. I'm going to create my own work because I'd been kind of trying to model the way that I wrote after these guys. And after they deserted me, that's when I started writing the musical stuff. Oh, you found your voice. I did. I did. And so I can't express to you at the time how much it, it was the defining thing that in many ways kind of ruined college for me because I stayed on this sketch group despite the fact that I was miserable and bitter and having a secret relationship with this guy and I felt disenfranchised and humiliated and just thought of myself as this dirty whore slut but it it informed my writing and my voice now Rachel gets out of school, feeling knocked around a bit, but still in love with comedy and music and performing, and conveniently really good at it. She starts making YouTube videos in which she often plays a kind of extroverted person who is perhaps struggling with mental health issues. One of the first videos was called I Steal Pets. It was inspired by that re- video that came out, Rebecca Black's Friday. Uh-huh, sure. Which I just found was derivative of a lot of the preteen genre, which is like, I'm a happy preteen. And when I think of myself in middle school, middle school was the height of my adolescent, what I now think was OCD and depression. And so I was the opposite of a kind of carefree girl in a convertible. School is really boring. Can't wait for the bell to ring. Cause tonight I'm hanging with all of At the time I wrote I Steal Pets, I was on my first TV writing job, and I was the only girl, and I was the youngest, and remember the guy I had a secret relationship with? Oh, no. He was on that writing staff. Oh! And he was very cold to me, and his writing partner and some other guys were straight up mean to me, and I was bullied on that writing staff. And so it was everything, kind of all these feelings of inadequacy, not being good enough for these men coming up. And it felt also because I was being bullied like I was back in middle school. And that's what inspired I Steal Pets. And then a couple months later, I wrote this music video, Pictures of Your Dick, which is also that kind of revenge fantasy feeling emotion that I was having while I was on that writing staff.
And it was those videos um, that were seen by this woman named Aline Brush McKenna, uh, who is an incredibly established and accomplished screenwriter. And I get an email one day saying, Aline Brush McKenna wants to meet with you for a general meeting to discuss a potential musical television show. And I get together with her and she was like, what I love about the videos is they're vulnerable and as funny as they are, there's always this moment of true sadness and darkness. And we were thinking, what could we create together? And Aline said, you know, I've always wanted to write a movie called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but I think it could work for a TV show. And I was like, yep, (laughs) yep, that, that, I want that. Rachel's talent is what got her that big break. But part of that talent involved not hiding the stuff that had made her kind of messed up for years and celebrating it instead. Rachel and Aline got to work developing this idea. Yeah, it was a really long and actually organic process because I came from more of a sketch world where like, all right, let's just start talking about the characters in broad strokes. And and Aline really, and this is just how good she is, and I've learned so much from her, was like, well, let's just talk about her. Let's talk about her for a second. What was her childhood like? What are we trying to say with this show? At that point, we knew she moved to West Covina to chase a guy. So it's like, why is she moving to West Covina? She and I went to West Covina and we talked about her. And so we really built her from the ground up of, okay, someone who moves across the country to chase a guy. If we want to deconstruct this romantic comedy trope, who is this person really? And she's very much a mix of me and Aline and people we've known. And the West Covina was because it's the next town over from where this first musical theater director was from? Partially. We knew we wanted to set it in inland Southern California. And we were just, you know, shooting the shit one day. And and I said, you know, I used to be in love with this guy who was basically from, like, West Covina because when he called me, his number came up as Covina, California. And West Covina is just a funnier name than Glendora. And I was like, he was from West Covina. And I would sometimes, you know, go to West Covina. I, I was like, I a couple times went to West Covina to, like, try to run into him. And even now when I drive past it on the 10 freeway, uh, Glendora, that is, I get a, a little like, oh, my God, that's the place where love is. And, and that's a testament <laughs> to how deep into fantasy I was with romantic relationships. West Covina, California. West Covina, California. Hear the band playing in my heart. My new life is about to start. Just ahead, Rachel's career gets kicked into high gear, and her mind gets, well, kicked. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness, not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having some laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, demystifying it a little bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. Depression is a serious disease. You need to take it seriously. The good news, people can and do get better. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. That can be an awkward conversation. But makeitok.org is full of information you can use. What to say, what not to say. And stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitok.org. You can take the pledge right there to Make It Okay. 
Thank you so much to Health Partners and Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. See the blood rushing to my cheeks Hear the sigh when I try to speak All our cares will disappear West Covina Magical text. It's time to kick it into high gear. Yes, also by coincidence, so random, just by chance. Who'd have thunk it so remarkable and weird, right? It's so great that this guy, Josh, just happens to be. You want to go drive by his house? You know where he lives? This is going to be so much fun. That's Rachel Bloom and her co-star Donalyn Champlin from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, co-created by and starring Rachel Bloom. When last we left Rachel, she was putting together the idea for that show. Before long, Rachel and Aline Brosh McKenna were ready to pitch it to the networks. And in a pitch, you are on the spot. You have a short amount of time to sell your idea. There's so much on the line. If it goes well, you might be a star. And if it doesn't, you might get nothing. It was all too much. It was a night before I pitched to FX, and I was, was really nervous. I didn't sleep at all. And it was the type of thing, and that hadn't happened since, like, I was an adolescent. And it was the type of thing where I was like, why am I not getting to sleep? Sleep. Sleep, you dumb bitch. Sleep. And I didn't sleep at all. And I just remember feeling it was a combination of being depressed, turning it on for the pitches. It was a combination. But then when I was out of the pitches, it was like, I'm depressed. I'm exhausted. I'm going to ruin everything with my own mental illness. I'm crazy. What's wrong with me? And for the next couple days, I was only sleeping an hour or two a night. And I just remember it being, I mean, seven in the morning and I hadn't slept all night. And I called my friend Dan, who's a doctor, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like I'm going crazy because, you know, it was my anxiety, but also I was sleep deprived. And sleep deprivation really, especially if you already have anxiety or depression, man. So I was nervous. So I basically was nervous while pitching the shows. And then I went to New York for something after we'd already pitched the show and after I'd gotten the sleep thing figured out. And I started to have fear of going to sleep that I wouldn't be able to sleep. And it was especially potent when I was in New York alone without my husband. I was like, I'm going to be in that room alone, unable to sleep. And every night I had a sleep fear. And... And then that manifested into what it always does with my looping thoughts, which is I'm feeling that feeling. When will the feeling go away? And then so it becomes, and this is also what happens with smart people to compliment myself. You start to think about the thing, about the thing. It becomes this just looping thought into looping thought into looping thought. And I'm in the middle of going through this in New York, being like, I'm feeling the bad thing again. I'm feeling the fear of going to sleep, but now it's leaking into every day. And it wasn't even as much about sleep fear anymore as like fear of feeling this feeling all the time. And then my husband proposed. Oh, boy. And it was this beautiful moment. But also simultaneously in that moment, I was like, oh, my God, no, no, no. Bad thing. Don't come in and taint this moment. Because if if the bad thing comes in and taints this moment... That's what I'm going to always feel when I think about my husband. It's, it's, it's the leaping from like A to D that you do when you're anxious. And so I get back to L.A. Something also was off with my birth control. And I, that's when I w- was sunk into like the worst kind of pendulum of anxiety and depression that I'd ever been in. And I remember I, was, I booked a commercial. and It was the night before filming this commercial. And I couldn't sleep because I was worried about not sleeping. And I was in the middle of planning a wedding and I was uh, about to potentially shoot a pilot <laughs> called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I wrote up an essay called 
a brief history of my sleep anxiety where I outlined all of basically the times that I felt hopeless. It started out with sleep anxiety, but then it morphed into just depression, anxiety. And I went on Psychology Today, their website, and I looked for, I need a psychiatrist who has dealt with, like, uh, sleep anxiety, anxiety, and, like, looping thoughts. And I found him, and it changed my life. Yeah. You got out. That was great. Because I wanted to change. I wanted... It was the first time... I'd been in therapy before, but I... And I and I changed a little bit, but this was the first time that I was like, something needs to be done. There needs to be something drastic. And that's when I got into meditation. I really started talking about my issues with the psychiatrist. I was put on Prozac, um, which definitely helped me for the better. I mean, I feel the chemical difference. Yeah, I have low serotonin. Like, that makes sense. And it just... And ever since then, you know, I'm not saying I've been perfect since then. I go through ups and downs, definitely. But I have the tools now to know what those are. Rachel and Aline made a crazy ex-girlfriend pilot with Showtime, but ultimately landed the show at the CW. Critics loved it, and it's won many awards. It's now in season three. But Rachel says, at first, people didn't know what to make of the title. We never thought people would take it at face value. We were originally on Showtime, which is seen as edgier. But then when we moved to the CW... Because it was a network show, people started to think, oh, this is a show just labeling a woman as the other labeling her crazy. But that's exactly what the show isn't, right? Right. And so right away in the show, we needed a self-awareness to let people know, no, 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 we're in on this. We're in on this joke. And inherent in the theme song, we wrote it as a direct reaction. The theme song, she says, the situation's um, a lot more nuanced than that. She's the crazy ex-girlfriend. What? No, I'm not. She's the crazy ex-girlfriend. That's a sexist term. She's the crazy ex-girlfriend. Can you guys stop singing for just a second? She's so broken inside. The situation's a lot more nuanced than that. C-R-A-Z-Y. Okay, we get it. Crazy ex-girlfriend. And so it, right away we were telling people, no, 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 we're going underneath it. We're not the show that you think it is. And then as it as the show started to evolve... You know, you need story to move. And so you need her. T- I mean, already the, 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 the TV show starts with this outlandish action of moving across the country, which is something neither Aline nor I have ever done. And so, okay, so this is someone kind of based on ourselves whose actions are an exaggerated versions of version of things that we might do. So we just kind of yes and that for the first season. She's on a date with this other guy and panics and leaves him on their date to go sleep with another guy that she meets at this taco festival they're at. That is a a very outlandish action. In the first episode, one of the first things Rebecca does after arriving in West Covina is dump all her meds down the garbage disposal because she thinks she doesn't need them anymore. It ends up being a bad idea because that's not how it works. As the show headed into season three, Rachel and Aline gave a lot of thought as to how the character's mental state would evolve. And I have a double warning here, major plot point and a discussion that has to do with suicide. So if spoilers or triggers are an issue with you, skip ahead about 12 minutes. And so when we got to season three, she had done so many things. And by season three is when we got into the nitty gritty of being a crazy ex-girlfriend because she'd been, spoiler alert, left at the altar by this guy, Josh Chan. And we thought we're going to have to, she's going to hit rock bottom and then we're going to have to diagnose her. Now, the interesting thing is if you look at a movie like Fatal Attraction, which was kind of one of our templates for season three and always had been, that's a story of someone with borderline personality disorder, which is a, a pretty common disorder. Um, women are diagnosed a, a little more frequently than men, and it's debatable whether or not they have it more or whether or not that's just still some sort of bias in the um, mental health community. But the more you look at these revenge fantasies, at these revenge stories, they are people with this personality disorder. And then we looked at even the first... Um, action of the show, which is moving across country to chase a guy that you know from summer camp, that action informs a level of mental illness that's deeper than generalized anxiety and depression. 
And so when we arrived in season three, finally, that she had borderline personality disorder, which has elements of anxiety and depression and PTSD and, and all these other things, it was built off of the actions over the past two and a half seasons. So in creating the show, you didn't say, let's let's make this person who thinks she has depression and anxiety, but really she has borderline personality disorder. You analyzed her in season three. Right before season three. So by the time we got into season two, we knew something else was going on. But you were the one making the thing go on, though. Exactly. But it was the type of thing, for me, how it felt for me was taking ideas that I'd had, feelings that I'd had, and putting them into actions in ways that I'd thought of and never done. And so it just kind of happened organically. And so by the time we got to the start of season three, and both Aline and I um, know, both Aline and I know people with borderline. Um, it's um, it's it's something that that we both know well. I'm not borderline. Aline's not borderline, but it's something we both know well. Um, we knew she was probably borderline, but what we did was we sent a bunch of episodes to various therapists, and we said, "Diagnose this person. Tell us what you think." And they came back and they were like, well, it's interesting. You know, she has elements. She could be bipolar too. She could, you know, there are elements, anxiety, depression, PTSD. And, and diagnosing people is not an exact science. But they were like, but, but borderline seems to be the closest. And the interesting thing about borderline, which makes sense for the show, is we were creating heightened versions of ourselves and things that we'd experienced. That's what borderline is. Borderline is people who basically have no little to no emotional skin. And so every time we would feel insulted or we would feel anxious, and that's just human nature, they feel it a thousand times. And it comes from an, an, inher- um, it comes from an unstable sense of self and an unstable sense of who you are, which I definitely have elements of. I definitely, that's something that I'm actively working on is building credit with myself, not seeing my self-worth as wrapped up wrapped up in solely what's the most recent thing I did. And so it makes sense that she's borderline because borderline is an emotionally heightened state of being. All the way through the show, she responds very emotionally to all the good and bad things that happen to her. She's almost seems like a prisoner of circumstances, really. Yes. And something we always knew, and this this probably does inform in the back of our brains, we knew it was borderline. From moment one, the way we pitched the show was, this is a person who does not want to look inside herself. This is a person who, if she looked inside herself, it would be so scary and dark and ugly, and it would be such hard work. She just needs to latch onto external things, which is partially the reason it's a musical. Whenever she's doing a musical number, Rebecca's trying on a new person hat. She's saying, okay, well, maybe I'm this. Maybe I'm a Bob Fosse seductress. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe I'm like this musical theater ingenue. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe I'm Nicki Minaj. And so from the beginning, she was always someone who inside was emotionally stunted because the last time she was truly happy when she was 15, 16 years old, when she was at summer camp, which is what the pilot's about. And she conflates the last time she was truly happy with this guy, Josh Chan. But in reality, the last time she was happy was at summer camp because it was the last time she made her own decision. She says in the pilot, I chose this camp. I wanted to go here. I did theater. It was the first time in her life she did something she wanted to do. And so there's always inherent in the character this this unstable sense of self and not understanding who she is inside and what she really wants and the nuances of what she really wants. And that's what we've tried to show with all the characters. All of the characters in the show in many ways are start out being somewhat stock. There's the funny best friend. There's the bumbling boss. There's the bitchy, villainous girlfriend of the guy that you want. Wacky neighbor. The wacky neighbor, exactly. And what we do is we go, at least what we try to do is go underneath that and show, no, 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 there's so many contradictions and... And, and and nuances and gray areas to all these people that you can't model your life 
or who you are after media you see or music videos or romantic comedies because that's not real life. In episode five, Rebecca is in a deep hole of depression, hasn't slept all night, is on an airplane and has access to anti-anxiety pills and wine. And she attempts suicide. There are no songs, no jokes. It's well done. And it's really hard to watch and hard to get across on an audio podcast because it's mostly visual. So Rebecca gets her glass of wine and very quietly takes all the pills, washing them down with wine. You can hear them hitting her teeth. Finally, beginning to hallucinate, she sees the flight attendant sign change from help to hope. And pushes the button. Hi, everything okay? I need help. As we got into it, it was important to us to not um, glamorize it or make it dramatic. You know, I think that there are definitely tropes of like you see a woman, you know, beautiful makeup, sobbing, downing a fistful of pills. We didn't want to do that. And so, you know, in the filming of it, I'm wearing no makeup. I I don't look great. <laughs> um and and the idea of instead of downing pills, taking each pill methodically one by one. I didn't know if the help sign turning into hope would work. I worried that it would be, would it be schmaltzy? And Aline was like, nope, it works, trust me. And she was 100% right. And so she really crafted that story so well. And then the episode's writer, Jack Dolgen, who is one of my other songwriting partners on the show, who also, when he's talked about this, has, um, similar to me, a history with anxiety and depression, but dissimilar, he has had a history of, of suicidal thoughts since he was a child. And so his first draft of that script, that suicide scene, really got me into her headspace in a way that I hadn't thought about before. Have you ever been close to it yourself? No, I haven't. I mean, I've... I remember as a teenager writing, I just wish I could go into a deep sleep and and wake up in like a thousand years. I never actually really, really thought about it. Um, I, I don't, and I don't know what that is. But in essence, that's, you know, I want to go into a deep sleep. That's the same sentiment as people who want to kill themselves because the research that The Room and Aline did was and Jack knew this firsthand, is that people who have suicidal ideation, they don't, they don't want to die. They just want the pain to stop. They're in so much pain. And that's what we wanted to capture. What was it like acting that scene? I mean, how did you find the place you needed to be to act something like that? It was really hard. The actions of taking the pills... Um, kind of did it for me like the idea of like okay I'm gonna just end this I'm pulling the you know I'm I'm pulling the fire alarm I'm saying I want out and there are some there are some emotional scenes in the show that I like doing I like scenes where I cry they feel 
when I get to that place, they feel cathartic because I'm not a crier and I like when I cry. It feels kind of good to me in a way. Um, I like scenes where I'm angry because I hold in a lot of anger because I'm a people pleaser. (laughs) And so scenes where I can be overtly angry are very cathartic. But this scene was unpleasant and I wanted to do it as few times as possible. And I did it and I was in a really depressed mood and then midway through filming and I burst into tears. So we have, it was interesting because we have takes that are me full on sobbing, even saying I need help, when saying I need help. And that's not the story. The story we're telling is she's weak. It's only, it's in the next episode where she's more emotional. This one is just like, she didn't know what to do and had given up. So it, it was really hard and unpleasant for me. Talking to Rachel Bloom, you get a sense that this is someone born to be on stage, in front of a camera, on a microphone. She's open and honest and very comfortable in the spotlight, and she's incredibly funny. But she also has a history of anxiety and depression, and she describes herself as a people pleaser, not in the I'm going to entertain the audience way, but more in the I will steadily diminish myself kind of way. I went looking for answers. It comes from... A lot of places. I think it comes from being a musical theater kid and seeing my self-worth as wrapped up in, like, how much people like me. Right. What you get cast in, in, what kind of parts Uh you get. Yep. You kind of learn to be a show pony. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I think there's being a woman. Um, I think that my gender comes into play. And then there are... um, other aspects of things I grew up with, again, that are like not my stories to tell that have informed, I learned to be very, very intuitive and to in some ways put myself second. Mm-hmm. And do for others instead. Because you, is it devaluing yourself? A little bit. I still feel like, and this is a, n- a number of reasons, there are um, there are aspects of myself where I don't know what's real. Um, it's really weird to be citing the Hunger Games, but <laughs> <laughs> there is this moment where PETA has been brainwashed um, in this dystopian future, and and he doesn't know what's real and what's not real. And um, and he keeps having to ask Katniss, real? You love me, real? Or not real? And she used to say, like, that's real. And I still feel for numerous reasons like that a little bit. Where, you know, it's the fear of, oh, I said that thing to that person and they haven't texted me back. Are they mad at me? Is that a real alarm or is that a false alarm? And with depression, you think, well, everybody hates me, and but that's the depression talking, so maybe they don't hate me. Oh, but that person really does actually hate me. Yes, it, you don't know. It, exactly. You don't know. You, you don't have the reference that everybody else has. You don't know if you've gone crazy. And, and it was the thing where I was on that writing staff where I was being bullied, but it was in such a way where, like, I... I couldn't tell if I was just being overly sensitive. And it was that thing of like, I know what I'm feeling. Am I crazy for feeling this way? Being crazy is my is one of my biggest fears. Um, and it's why I sometimes overcorrect with devaluing my own emotions and being incredibly rational is because I do not want to be irrational. I want to be seen as completely sane. And in control. Yes, and in control. Now, what's it like, though, when uh, you have vulnerabilities and you have fronts that you put up and you have genuine confidence and you have genuine healthy habits and and you're a complicated person, but then you're also playing somebody with some similarities and some differences to you and it's being broadcast all over the world. <laughs> like, I get a little freaked out about sharing things on this podcast out of Minnesota. I couldn't even imagine, like, to be that vulnerable in front of TV cameras as a full-time job. You know what it feels like, honestly, for me at this point? It feels like the more I share it with the world, the more it takes the poison out of it. It feels like spitting the poison out. So it's not 
it's not scary. And I, and I, that's, I think I'm, that's just how I cope. I talk, I talk about things. Part of what helps me cope with things like being depressed or having looping thoughts is to know that other people go through this because it makes me feel less alone and the aloneness, the isolation is the worst part for me. And so it does feel like spitting out the poison. No more bad pills, fats, or tricks. Who says there isn't an easy fix? With the diagnosis, I'm ready to blow this joint. And by joint, I mean my inner sense of confusion. You said that confusingly. I'm aware mental illness is stigmatized. With the stigma is worth it. Oh, we have so much fun stuff on our Facebook page. Rachel Bloom videos, crazy ex-girlfriend clips. Please visit Rachel's on Twitter at Rachel Does Stuff. That's also her YouTube channel name. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Recording engineer and technical director this time around, Veronica Rodriguez. Christina Lopez is our web and social media rock titan. Thanks also to Nate Toby. Our theme song is called Pagliacci. It was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller. Much more about Rhett at his website, rhettmiller.com. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. And the 8255 spells talk. The Crisis Text Line is available in the United States. Text 741-741, and a trained human crisis counselor will text you back. Confidential, secure, free. They are there to get you to a safe, calm place. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation about something like mental illness can be awkward. Make It OK has tips on what to say or not to say. It has stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. We're on Twitter at THW of D, and you can write to us at THWOD, THWOD, at AmericanPublicMedia.org. And we're on the World Wide Web with a website, HTTP colon backslash backslash HilariousWorld.org. You could even pick up some cool merch there. And you know what would be great? If you could write a review of us at Apple Podcasts. Ideally, that you love us and subscribe and rate us with the little star thing. The more buttons you push, the better it is for us to reach more people, which is what we want to do. On our next episode, Ted Leo is a rock star for opening up and trying to get better. And he's an actual rock star because he plays rock music. We'll have fortunes in a paper cup. How many drops drip drip do I'm John Moe. Bye now.